grateful is a much happier place to be than not being grateful, isn't it? It is. It is. Well done. There's one person. Well done, Jeannie Morgan. Jeannie's grateful. But how many of us, if we're honest, find gratefulness and contentment are really hard at times? Really hard. And uh, how many of us are going through life thinking that God expects something from us rather than knowing actually what he wants is the best for us, the best for you? And uh, today we're going to look at a passage which says, for this is God's will for your life. He wants the best for you. And uh, if you've been wondering what God's will is for your life, then it's this. The key to gratefulness, the key to contentment isn't chasing contentment. The secret to finding contentment is chasing after Jesus. And then finding in him that you have absolutely everything, everything you could ever need. And so today, before we have communion, we're going to look at this passage uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, starting at verse 16. Paul says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life. In Christ Jesus. Now that's a scripture that packs a punch, doesn't it? Um, and uh, if, in case any of us are in any doubt, this is what God's will is for our life. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And they are three very challenging verses. And I don't know about you, I struggle with these verses at times, but if we can grasp them, then we will discover that contentment and, and uh, gratitude is the byproduct of knowing Jesus more. It's the byproduct of chasing after Him. And when we do that, we will know contentment in a whole new way. Um, last year in January, we changed our car. And uh, those of you that know me, I'm a little bit OCD when it comes to a clean car. I like it hoovered inside. I like it clean outside. So the first few weeks as the new car sat on my driveway, I would go out in the cold February mornings and I'd give it a little polish. I'd hoover it out and whatever. And then do you remember last February, Storm Eunice blew through the land. Trees fell. Fences disappeared. And the ridge tile on my roof blew off. It had an entire driveway to choose to fall on. Where did it fall? On my car. On my car. Now, I was not rejoicing or thankful in that moment. And I really wasn't rejoicing or thankful when I looked at my insurance excess, which had gone through the roof. So I decided to skip the insurance company, got it fixed, came back. It was pristine again. That weekend, we drove to Norwich for a family wedding. And uh, as I was reversing in the car park, I managed to reverse into the car park barrier. Where did it hit? The exact spot I had just had repaired three days before. Now, this is not a moment I'm particularly proud of, but I was quite frustrated. And uh, I don't normally 
lose it. But I actually lost, I lost it that morning. And I was shouting at myself. I was, out, I was literally hopping up and down. <laughs> and then this lovely man came over in a suit. And he said, um, is everything OK? What do you think? <laughs> and so he left very quickly. And then the blood drained from my face. And I thought, oh, no. He's wearing a suit. He's going to the wedding. And I said, Claire, he's going to the wedding. She said, no, no, he's not. No, he's walking in a totally different direction to where the church is. And I thought, oh, great, great. So off we went. I'd calmed down. As we're walking up the steps to the church, I hear this man go, hello again. <laughs> Literally, I wanted the ground to swallow me up. And then I went in. I, I, sw I said to all of my family, do not mention I am a vicar, because I behaved very, very badly out there. And I'm so glad I wasn't doing the wedding, because that would have been even worse. And then I since discovered that they're the best friends with my uncle and aunt. So they knew exactly who I was. So I was very, very bad, very bad. And I'm ashamed, and I have apologized to the Lord for that morning. Now, that's a really silly example, because it was just my car. It was just my car. And I could tell you plenty of other stories at the moment that are just painful. Um, stories of when life is hard. But the truth is, how many of us today, when we walked out the door, when we came to church this morning, we weren't overly feeling grateful about life. We're just not in a place where we're feeling content. Because the reality is, for some of us, life is tough. And life throws things at us which we don't expect sometimes, which we're not prepared for. And it's particularly in those moments, it's even harder to be grateful. And I know many of us, in this church family at the moment are going through some really tough life situations. And if we're really honest, rejoicing, praying, giving thanks is not the place that we're living in at the moment. And so here we have Paul commanding in this passage that in the specifics of our lives, in the specifics of the difficulties we may face or the questions we might be asking, is that we are to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. And this isn't just when the sun is shining. This is when life is tough. But listen to the words Paul uses. Always. Continually. In all circumstances. This is the posture for every season of life we face. Even when life feels unfair. So what do we do when life's not fair? What do we do when life throws things at us that are unexpected or it doesn't go with the way that we had hoped and we had dreamed for? How do we live this passage? How do we hold contentment and rest for ourselves when life's not fair? Well, there's probably two ways that we can respond to that phrase, life's not fair. The first is this. Life's not fair because somehow we expect our lives to be easy and simple and life to go our way because we somehow believe that we're entitled to an easy life and we think bad stuff should happen to others but not us. We somehow think we're entitled to good health or we're entitled to a better job with a larger salary or a boss who's kind to us or we're entitled to the roof tile falling off on the neighbor's car. No, not I was joking, I love my neighbours. Um, but the truth is, life isn't fair. And if we're expecting a safe and easy life, then we're going to trundle through this life feeling very discontented. 
And it will be really hard to live God's will for our life and to be grateful in all circumstances. But there is a second way of embracing that phrase, life's not fair. And to find out how, we've got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and it says this, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. If we want to know how to embrace life's not fair, we have to embrace the fact that we're made of dust. That's who we are. That's our very humanity. And then after the fall in, in Genesis 3:19, God says this to Adam, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is the moment in our history when death enters the story and the consequences of our sin take effect. And we're reminded that we're merely the dust of the earth. And if that doesn't ground us, if that doesn't create a humility in us where we recognize our position and our place, then I'm not sure what else will. Because when we grasp this and we realize how low we are, it's much easier to start looking up and begin to see that absolutely everything we have is a gift. And the truth is, the life we have is not fair. Because do you know what we do deserve? The ground, the dust, nothing. We deserve nothing. The life we do have is a gift. Do you know your heart beats 100,000 times a day? It's like a constant beating reminder right in the middle of you that reminds you that life is a gift from God. If only sometimes we would just stop for a moment and pause and realize that life is a gift. 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 It's a gift. So how do we get to that place of gratitude? How do we get to a place of humble living? If someone gives you a gift, what is our natural response? Thankfulness. Thankfulness is the byproduct of receiving a gift. It's, it's the byproduct. You do it when you see that life is a gift. You do it when you uh, realize life's not fair and everything that we have is a gift. And then we look at Jesus and we realize that everything, everything he's given us, everything he did for us at the cross, we don't deserve. We don't deserve. We deserve nothing. It's all grace. And what's grace? It's an unmerited gift that we don't deserve. And um, the reality is none of us want what we actually deserve. And that is to be a long way from a loving God, which is why Paul says to the Thessalonians, rejoice. And he doesn't just say rejoice once. He says rejoice always, always, because life is not fair. And uh, Paul knew that this would not be a natural response or posture for us in life, which is why he commands it. But the very fact that he commands it, I think he knew that it was actually possible for us to do it. It was something that was within our reach. Another way of looking at it is celebrate. Celebrate what God is doing in your life. And sometimes we just need to slow down 
and pause and take a moment to spot what he is doing. Celebrate what you've been gifted with. How often do we just stop? How often do we just take a moment to reflect on what God is doing in our lives? How often do we go actively looking and hunting for God's presence in the midst of the busyness and the activity that everything that goes on within our lives? How often do we look for God's presence in the midst of the difficult seasons that we go through? And it can often feel like he's not there at all. But it's only when we stop and we pause, we can start to see his fingerprints. We can start to see him moving in his presence in our lives. And uh, I've had to learn to stop and pause quite a bit over the last few months. It's not been an easy chapter in the life of our church. I know it's been a difficult and painful season for many here, but for also many outside. Yet in the midst of it, we have seen God's fingerprints. We have seen his continued goodness among us. He's shone a light on things that needed to be brought into the light, but we have known his presence. And in so many ways, we've seen it on our Sunday gatherings. There's been a freedom in our worship. We've seen it in our worship and prayer nights. He's been turning up. He's been turning up with our youth as they've been gathering next door, in our connect groups, in Alpha, in the cafe, the food boxes this week. There was just a beautiful sense of God's presence. And as I've paused and I've reflected, I've kind of thought, wow, God, you are still here. You are still with us. Despite everything that's gone on, you're still with us. That's grace. That's grace. And so when Paul says rejoice, he knew it would be difficult at times because sometimes life is hard. But it's in those seasons that he forms us, molds us, and transforms us more into his likeness. Now, a key to rejoicing is that within that word is the word joy. And, uh, but to rejoice doesn't always mean being happy. Joy and sadness can coexist. And sometimes as Christians, we've been led to believe that we need to suppress grief and pain in an attempt to squash the grief. We, sometime, we somehow uh, would think that joy would suddenly and miraculously appear. It's as if we could suddenly move from, from pain to joy, from sadness to joy, as if joy is the goal that we need to attain to. No, what we learn from Scripture is that we can have joy and within joy talk to God about the pain. We can talk to him about the pain of the delay of peace which he has promised to each of us. We can have joy in the midst of pain and that's precisely why Paul then writes, pray continually. And that doesn't mean we ignore pain, but in it, we can have hope that he is with us. In it, we can talk to him honestly about how we're doing, how we're feeling. Because in it, we can have hope that this isn't the end of the story for us. We can cry out to him honestly and say, how long, God, is this going to go on for? How long? Because we have a joy and a hope that what happens here on earth is not the end. What we experience here and now is temporary. 
pray continually. And I don't know about you, but in the last little while, I've just felt a much greater need to pray for myself, but I've also sensed just for a church, our church as well, that we need to be praying more, not just because of what's gone on in the last few months, but because I've been so challenged again and again that it's our prayer life which anchors our relationship with Jesus. It's our prayer life which anchors our relationship with Jesus. Prayer is the difference between the best we can do and the best he can do. And how does God want us to pray? Honestly. Honestly. He wants to know how you're doing. He doesn't want you to try and hide your feelings from him. And for some of us, we may have struggled in prayer because somehow we feel like we don't do it enough and then we feel guilty and then we read and hear a scripture like this and we feel even more of a failure. And I wonder whether we need to start flipping our thinking a little bit when it comes to prayer. I wonder whether we need to shift our mindset to one of prayer being the opportunity to connect us with the supernatural power source for the whole of our lives. God isn't looking for quantity in prayer. He isn't wanting us to turn up and tick prayer off our to-do list for the day. God wants us to do life with him. He wants prayer to be about relationship and conversation with him throughout all of the day. And I wonder whether for some of us, the discipline of prayer has almost become a safety net of being a good Christian. And therefore, it shifted the emphasis away from drawing closer to God, worshipping him, drawing closer to him in intimacy, because we focused much more on the job of prayer and the task in hand. It's like having a date night with your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend and not enjoying each other's company. You kind of, you're just doing it, going through the motions because it's the right thing to do for your relationship. Some of us might be thinking, well, how can I pray all the time when I've got everything else to do in my life? Well, the answer might simply be this. Pray as much as you can whilst doing everything else. Prayer is about relationship with God. And if everything we do with God in mind, remaining mindful of his presence, his purposes for us, his image in everyone we meet, then we can pray without ceasing, without it even being a question of quantity. This is how we pray without ceasing. Stop tallying up how much you pray because there's no right amount of times to pray. There's no point, and that's the point, sorry, not there's no point praying continuously. The point is pray continually. Pray first in everything you do. And as you go about your day, just pray single sentences. Tell him what's going on. If there's a problem at work, tell him. Manny was preaching the other week. They were struggling with something at work, so he went off to the toilet, prayed. The answer came to him. He went back and he told his team and his boss, I think we should do this. And his boss said, well, how did you come up with that? And I went to the loo and I prayed. Pray. Prayer is about relationship. And through relationship, living out his purposes for our lives, which is why it's so important that we talk to God before we act, before we decide, before we're tempted, before we speak, before we take a risk. How different would our lives be if we prayed first in everything we do. And uh, as a church, I'm longing 
for us to be a people who pray first more. That's why we gather on the first Tuesday of every month to worship and pray. The next one is not this Tuesday, the following one. Come along. Before our services, every Sunday now, a group of us pray. You know, if you want to join us to pray, come and pray. Pray that the Lord would meet us, that we would be sent out in the power of his spirit to change our world. We're going to start sending out little prayer things in the the weekly updates so we can together as a church family be praying for the same things. And then in the new new year, we're going to look at other ways that we can begin to pray together more as a church family together. So point one, rejoice always. Point two, um, pray continually. And Paul doesn't stop there. Point three says, give thanks in all circumstances. And I'm really grateful that this verse does not say give thanks for all circumstances. I'm grateful it says give thanks in all circumstances. And I'm sure many of us can point to circumstances in our lives at the moment, but also stuff that's gone on in the past, which have been incredibly painful. And I, like you, am not in a place which I'm grateful for some of those things and some of those circumstances I face. But what I am and what I can be is grateful not to be alone in them. And the key to this passage and understanding this life perspective switch comes straight after Paul writes, give thanks in all circumstances. And it is this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's hard for us to be grateful and content in all circumstances if we are focusing more on what we must do rather than resting in what has already been done for us. And as we do this, it allows us to stand differently in his presence. It allows us to stand confidently in Christ. So the truth is this, we can give thanks in all circumstances because we don't need to do anything to obtain his favor. We already have his favor in Christ Jesus. God knew that it would not be possible for us to be able to get to him. And this is the power of the gospel. He humbly comes to us. And when you stand before a holy God, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son. He sees his son on a cross. You cannot and have not outsinned the cross. And if somehow we believe the invitation to come to Jesus is dependent on us, then we've missed the point. God always moves towards us when we least deserve it. That's grace. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't consequences for bad behavior now, and it's right that we face the consequences of those. But when we stand before God, We will either stand before him alone, trying to tell him why we deserve eternity with him, or we stand before God in Christ. And what it means to stand in Christ is to believe that he came to us when we least deserved it. And if we believe God's pursuit of us is completely dependent upon what we do, then we've missed the point. God always moves towards us. And as I close, and um, we come to take communion, let's be reminded again that contentment and the key to contentment is Jesus. 
And for some of us, we are feeling angry with God at the moment because of the circumstances we're in. We're angry because life just seems tough and it feels unfair. And maybe that anger and that frustration has started to spill out into other areas of our life. It's almost like, you know, when a pipe bursts and you try and grab the pipe to stop the water going everywhere, it just makes it worse and it begins just to fly everywhere around. And often when we're angry, the people that we hurt the most, the people that our anger goes out to most is the people that we love the most, the people that are around us. For some of us, it's time to bring that anger before the Lord who wants to transition it to a place of contentment. And he can do that. Life's not fair. But praise God, we don't get what we deserve. But in order for us to rejoice always, to pray continually, and to give thanks in all circumstances, it might be a discipline that we have to practice a little bit more and more. But here's what we find in Christ Jesus. We find everything we could ever need. And the byproduct of that, contentment. Bring your life, your struggles to him. Don't try and fix them yourself. The more you try doing it on your own, the more you'll fail and the more disappointed you'll become. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And that's what we're going to do now as we share communion. And as we do this, maybe there's some of us that just need to lay our anger down before God. Some of us need to place our worries, our challenging situations, our health, our finances, our families, our grief, whatever it is, the invitation is to bring them before God. And he invites us to lay them down at the foot of the cross. And as we do this, we can be honest with him. If you're feeling angry, tell him, God, I'm angry. I'm so mad about this situation. I can't do this on my own anymore. I need you. And as we begin to recognize our need for him, we can begin to look up again. And as we look up, we find a God whose arms are wide open. We find a God who is full of love and grace and compassion who walks towards us. That's grace. That's grace. Amen.